This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Okay, have you guys ever seen that show Mr. Robot, the Sam Ismail one starring Rami Malek? Okay, so it's really kind of... I don't know, scary and post-apocalyptic. Uh, do you remember all the cybersecurity attack scenes that caused data to be deleted, servers to crash, personal accounts to be exposed? Well, as if 2020 doesn't already feel enough like a movie or a TV nightmare, a real-life episode played out this week. Google experienced a massive power outage with millions unable to use their email, YouTube. But that didn't bother me as much as this did. It infected even their Nest thermostats, which brings up the whole Mr. Robot episode where the woman came in and everything was going crazy and she was freezing. But, but basically, on a federal level, a massive cybersecurity breach of the Treasury and Commerce Departments also has come to light. Russian hackers are suspected. But you know what? Today, we are talking to someone who has lived and breathed cybersecurity since the age of 13, Avi Shua was born and raised in Israel, where he discovered early on he wasn't just a computer whiz kid. He was an IT services whiz, helping with all of his high school's technology needs while being a full-time high school student. No surprise, he grew up and joined the elite Israeli intelligence division, Unit 8200, as it's called. Avi, after leaving that unit, decided to tackle one of the most challenging cybersecurity issues that the world faces now, solving the fundamental cloud security problem. His expertise is now in demand worldwide, but Avi is the co-founder and CEO of Orca Security and has carved out some time to join us today on Everyone Talks to Liz. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Avi. Thank you for having me, Liz. What's your take on all of what's been happening literally within the past couple of days? So, I, you know, I think that uh, cybersecurity is becoming more and more into the focus of the everyone, you know, from something that only geeks worry about. Okay, there's an environment, someone will react to that. I think people understand that the chance that they're going to be impacted by a cyber attack is likely higher than the chance that they are going to be attacked by any kind of other kind of uh, risk these days. And this dramatically, uh, I'll say, increased the focus of that in our lives. And it shouldn't be surprising because as the years goes, so a dramatic larger part of our lives moved to the digital world mm -hmm. and therefore securing it is uh, critical. And also the cyber world have a characteristics which makes it much harder to defend. If you think about that, if someone tries to attack you and fails in the street, there's a good chance that he's going to be arrested. After one failed attempt, two or three, someone you'll get going to be arrested and you won't be able to do to have the fort. Sure. In the cyber world, it's completely different. Usually the attacker is anonymous. You can fail millions of times uh, automatically. And if you succeed in the middle on one, you won. There is no uh, repercussion for failing 
in most of the cases. Absolutely. And this case with the Russians suspected of hacking our Treasury Department and the Commerce Department, I was reading somewhere that uh, the senator from Maine came out and said that while Russia cannot afford to buy a single fighter jet because right now they are so down for the count with, with finances, they could certainly afford to bring in 800 hackers for the same price, 8,000 hackers for the same price. So the weaponry may look different, but it is almost as dangerous, if not more damaging. Am I right with that assessment? I think you're totally right on both fronts. First, it's dramatically more cost-effective. Think about it, in $200 million, you can buy a single fighter jet, which might be okay, but you are not going to win a war debt. But this is a whole lot of money to launch a very advanced cyber tech. And on the other end, I think that the ex- if a, a foreign nation will try to eat the United States using a fighter jet, there will be repercussions that are major. While if it's cyber tech, it's much easier to maintain anonymity. And it's unclear whether there are going to be repercussions in that. And this is why we see that essentially cyber is becoming the weapon of choice in cases. Avi, part of this focus of the podcast is always the climb. And we go back to sort of the beginning, the genesis of how you found this passion and the expertise to go with it. So you're 13 and what happens? Did you get your computer? You started to figure out you not only loved it, but you could figure out how to work it to solve amazing problems? So I think that uh, in certain uh, areas, my uh, career is almost a cliche of a kid who got, uh, who got mich- a computer, got very intrigued by that, tried to, uh, to look how you can hack into things. But what's a bit different is the, the age of 13 is also going a bit more interested in how you can secure things. And in fact, it's even a dramatically harder problem. Because if you think about it, an attacker needs to find one weak link and the defender needs to defend all of the links. So it's dramatically harder task to protect rather than defend, uh, than attack. And uh, then, uh, you know, like many kids that are essentially interested in this area, I joined uh, the Israeli intelligence uh, I've been there for a decade. I've been both as a, a independent contributor, also led tra- cybersecurity training. I want to know where this all came from. Were your parents techies? Tell me where you found this instant love of the ability to solve these technological problems that are very complicated. So, in fact, I'm the, all of my family are lawyers. I'm the only one who, <laughs> uh, who went into this field of uh, machines and cybersecurity. But at the end of the day, it's very similar. If you think about that, uh, being a lawyer is trying to find loopholes in agreements and or to write ones that cannot be attacked. In cybersecurity, it's in many areas very similar. You're trying to find loopholes in software, which is pretty well defined, or to find ways to protect mm-hmm. it. And uh, I always was fascinated about the certainty of machines, about the fact that you can make sure that if you build it in the right way, it works, especially you know, working in this industry for the last uh, 20-something years where simply from 
internet being, okay, internet is down, nobody cares, so some geeks will go and play some football. Why should we even care about that? Which was the way, if you'll ask about it 20 something years ago to today, that if internet is down, nobody can do anything. I mean, we're paralyzed. We're extraordinarily dependent on this, and even more so now with the pandemic. But a lot of people want to be in that elite intelligence division unit, 8200. Don't you have to kind of be asked to be in it or, or earn your stripes to get into that? In fact, not really, because one thing, and I think this is one of the main reasons, I'll say the untold secrets of why the unit is successful, is because you take people not based on what they know, on based on what you believe their capabilities are. So there is test that you take people and you usually try to face them with things that have no good answers. And then uh, you go to a training and I had the luxury of both being in one and uh, being the leader of one of these trainings, where essentially you take young kids that are uh, pretty talented and teach them things that we rarely teach in, uh, the, uh, in the academy of how to solve problems themselves. And it might sound trivial, but if you think about it, most of the years when you are uh, doing education years, you are taught solutions. There's a problem, you taught what is the solution for that. There's a theorem, you, you understand how it's solved. It's very rare that we are taught, go find a solution to the problem and do it yourself. Don't Google, don't ask your friend. We are not trying to collaborate and looking, face a problem, put as much time as you need until you solve it. And after you do that for a certain time, people believe, start to believe that they have the capability of solving these problems because Avi, they do. The world I'm calling Generation L, Generation Lazy, because they just want to Google everything and they want other people to solve their problems. I'm just as guilty. I, I mean, I want to pay people <laughs> things that I don't want to do myself, but I think you're right. I think that one of our biggest problems with, God, it sounds so, speaking of cliche, kids today, is that it's just too easy. You don't have to look at a map anymore. You just dial up ways. Um, you don't have to really problem solve. And therefore, I think we're missing an entire link to problem versus solution because we're not teaching kids how to solve those problems. But going back to your, your younger days, how did you get kids in the neighborhood to hire you to become their IT specialist? So, in fact, I wasn't hired by kids. I was hired by the uh, municipality I grew in, uh, <laughs> where they offered me to help maintaining the IT in my high school after I did it uh, voluntarily. And by the way, I assumed the role of cybersecurity protection of that. I can't say that we faced too, my, <laughs> too many attacks, <laughs> uh, but uh, this is the role I chose for myself back then. But uh, circling back on your previous point, I don't think it's a problem for this or other generations, so much easier to teach data. You know, think of that, even if you go to university, you are usually taught, okay, this is the way that it was done. This is the way you solve this equation. This is the way that you prove this term. You are not, it's very rare that they tell you, this is a problem, go sit in a room, you must be disconnected and solve this problem. And this is the thing that is done very differently in uh, the IDF. And after you do that, you really build people that believe in their capabilities of solving problems, and then you can tackle them with, so, with problems that don't have a, a known solution. 
I can say that we used to do it. It was something funny that we always used to give uh, young cadets problems ranging from um, easy to hard. And usually, once in a while, there were problems that there was no known solution. And every year or two, someone found a solution for them. And it's, it's literally that what allows uh, to find people that are capable and teach them how to actually do cybersecurity. What was the number one thing you learned in Unit 82 of the Israeli Defense Forces that you took with you to Orca as you founded that company? So literally one thing, believe that there is a solution to a problem and take this belief set with you, even if there is no supporting evidence, even if you know everything else tells you this is a problem that everyone has been facing for a decade, probably the solution that are described is the only one. You need to be able to sit, put yourself in a room for day, week, month, it doesn't matter, and work on that with the full belief set that there is a solution to this problem. And in fact, this is exactly what uh, we did when we started Orca. Essentially, one of the main problems that we tackled uh, is something which may sound basic and is coverage. You know, we um, laymen's when they look at cloud security with cybersecurity, mm-hmm. everything looks very complicated. It's like compl- uh, advanced nation state attackers that look for zero day attacks, bypass complex security mechanism. If you look at the movies, it's all looks looking very, very advanced. But reality, in many times, it's dramatically more boring. Most attacks are not because there is a nation state attacker that managed to bypass all of that defense security mechanism. It's simply because environments are very complicated. There are in a large organization, thousands of different services. And simply some of them are not maintained, are not protected at all. And that leads me to ask you a question that's sort of random right now, because I know a lot of our listeners, let's just say they have an iPhone and the iPhone's secure, but then they access a bunch of different apps, right? Or you're paying your bills online and you're doing something through an app. Isn't that where we find the chinks in the armor, so to speak, those little cracks in the dam that allow the bad actors to worm their way in? Exactly. Naturally, it can be a mistake, someone who simply don't use something which is not secure, don't understand the human factor mm-hmm. is usually the weakest link. You know, it's so uh, so many advanced attacks started because someone called a person, told him, I, this is my name, I'm from IT, I need you to do something. Or a website, luring to be a governmental website, asking you for the details. Mm-hmm. So definitely, it's almost all of the greatest attacks are due to simple things, whether it's the... And, it's many times the human element doing mistakes or human element not protecting uh, one environment as they should or not maintaining it as they should. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates 
candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The world now and they talk so glowingly about it, lives in the cloud. The cloud companies from Salesforce to all these other names, there are entire ETFs, exchange traded funds that promote cloud stocks and the cloud stocks soar in value. And yet that makes the world a lot less secure, does it not? When you think about a cloud, things just fall right through it, a real cloud. So when you founded Orca, what was your mission goal? So first, I really disagree with what you said, that cloud makes the world less secure. I think the cloud can make the world dramatically more secure than the on-prem. And this is exactly what we are doing in Orca. There's two things that are happening in the cloud, and we many times confuse them. There is the technology of the cloud, and there is the culture of the cloud. And part of the culture of the cloud is the expectation of having everything quickly. There's a new feature. Uh, The team is expected to deliver it next week. And especially in this world where everyone is becoming online, things that were used to be offline became online in a matter of days, sometimes we cannot years as we used to. And naturally, when you go fast, there is a higher chance that there will be mistakes. And simply, there are less mistakes in the on-prem world simply because we are going slower. But contrary to common belief, when you walk in the cloud, you can be dramatically more secure than the on-prem because it has different characteristics. If you, I'll just give one example. When you're handling on-premise environments, it's simply bare metal machines. You may forget of a machine, someone bought it, installed it, mm-hmm. nobody will maintain it, and it will be a risk that there is no way to contain almost without someone physically walking on that. It can't happen in the cloud. It's all software. It's immutable. The, the thing is, and this is something which is always hard, when we shift from technologies, when we shifted from the on-prem to the cloud world, we used to use the same techniques and tools that we used on the on-premise world, simply because this is what we had. We had machines running security software. So when moving to the cloud, we tried to take the same security software, the same security agent to the cloud. But this was a very, very suboptimal. If we take the cloud for it, it is, you can be dramatically more secure. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm going to buy that for the moment. <laughs> I see. I'm not one of these people who's so high tech that I understand it, but I do hear what you're saying where you can wrap your sort of technological arms around the cloud and make it secure. What do you see these days as the biggest threat out there? So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, there's while the world is evolving, the basics of cybersecurity haven't changed dramatically. The largest uh, breach a decade ago is not that different from breaches, large breaches today. And it's about this, the basics that makes you more secure. Mm-hmm. It's about things that are, for example, the human element, as we mentioned. No security system in the world will be good enough if people are not trained to understand who they need to trust and who they can't, what is a trusted email or not. And things that are the basic IT hygiene. At the end of the day, 
all of the great security in the world won't help you if you don't maintain your environment and you don't fix it from known issues. The sad thing is that the largest breaches in the history happened because of known security issues that were known in the industry for years. If you look at the largest breach in the history of Equifax, it wasn't an advanced attack. It was just a known vulnerability in a server that nobody cared to maintain. And while it may sound to uh, someone who's not in the industry like, how comes they don't remember that? In large organization, this is a, ma- a large problem because you have thousands of services, people move around, organization get reorganized, ownership is not always clear. And then you have a service which is not maintained that can be breached. And this is the entry point the attacker can use later to get this full access to the environment. And I think that we need to handle these simple things with new capabilities. Where do you stand, Avi, on ransom demands where hackers will approach companies and say, if you don't pay X, we will release all this information. I mean, when you think back to the Sony hack, which was several years ago, but extraordinarily damaging. They released emails in drips and drabs. It was like water torture. Each week, something else was revealed that was highly embarrassing, caused major relationship fissures, and not to mention major costs for the company. Um, If somebody says to an organization, let's say a CEO is listening right now and says, we got access, and unless you pay X amount of money, we'll put it out there. Do you recommend paying that? Because in some cases, companies have paid it and they still let the stuff out because they know they'll never be caught. I must say that uh, this is a very odd question because this is a question of handling things way too late. It's like saying all of your uh, government was kidnapped. Now do you pay to, to negotiate with terrorists or not? There's pros and cons to negotiating with terrorists and there's also reasons not to. But it's dramatic. It's simply, in my opinion, a CEO shouldn't wait. Waiting for the ransom demand is the wrong time. You need to make sure that it won't happen. There's many reasons. Of course, it's easy to say. For example, making sure that the organization is segmented correctly, that even if one part of your business got uh, got hacked, it doesn't mean that all of the data is. This is basics that many times are not followed about making sure that there is no single way to reach the organization once. And even basics like backups, Think about that. When you're in ransom situation, there's one thing that all of the data will be released, but many times they can also encrypt so you don't have a copy. So the business continuity is at risk. So if you already reached that phase, this is a very hard dilemma and it really depends on the industry, on what's known about the attacker group. I guess that this is the most important thing. There are some hacker groups that have a reputation that if you pay, they actually release that and they try to maintain this reputation. Some of them even uh, have 24-7 support lines. Uh, oh and can God. even I've seen one that even can give you customer reference of people that paid their ransom and got it. So if it's one of these, you know, you may want to do that and understand how you haven't reached. If it's someone else, uh, but from them, it's a business and they need to maintain the reputation of the business. Things have really changed since Sony. Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm dying to know what your business at Orca has been like since the pandemic hit and 
huge corporations told everybody, go home, but still work. I am sitting in my own home studio right now. And we all become very vulnerable as we're trying to reach each other and communicate and conduct a business. And yet we're not in that center area like we were at the buildings. So I must say that the initial few weeks after everyone was sent home, there was like a paralysis everywhere. Organization didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to operate. But very quickly afterwards, I think around April or beginning of May, organization understood that they need to find ways to operate. They need to become dramatically more agile. And this is when things became crazy. And when I say crazy, uh, I think that uh, the amount of request of incoming demand for our customer grew around 20 times wow. in this area. And everyone understood. What happened is that once people understood that they need to become, to move things that weren't digital to become digital, then the way they could implement it was the cloud. Because let's, let's accept that there is no way you can quickly implement new capabilities in, in an agile fashion mm -hmm. in a way which is not the cloud. So everyone dramatically moved to the cloud, including, by the way, extremely large organization that had like cloud migration project that were planned for sometime 2022 that uh, always uh, characterizes throw some uh, bananas to the monkeys so they'll play with the new technology and don't tell us that we need to refresh the stack, <laughs> this kind of organization. And now then they saw that younger organization were dramatically more agile and that the IT stack doesn't work and they understood that they need to move quickly. Now, when you move quickly to the cloud and think about that, everyone is moving, walking from home. It's not easy to have team meetings. It's not easy to uh, get a decision across the organization. You need to minimize friction and you need to maintain security while moving to the cloud. And this is where the demand to our technology became so strong because one of our main differentiators is the fact that we're able to provide it in a frictionless way. You know, at the end of the day, we're doing things that are in the old world took years to implement and we do it in minutes. So when you can do that, it, it caused people to essentially call us to help them imagine, with the good. I would imagine that uh, you get a lot of calls from companies, enterprise business. Are you helping governments? So we worked with a few government uh, organizations that also had to move to the cloud like other kind of organizations. Do you look to the future and think of how you want Orca to grow from what you started, which is ground up? So in fact, one of the things that I really love about our customer base, it's that it's very, very, uh, there are different in types, size, and, and organization. We have customers that are Fortune 100 companies that have hundreds of business units that are working in different ways. And we have uh, customers that are startups younger than us that have five people. At the end of the day, all of us use the same platform. The cloud providers are either AWS, uh, Microsoft, or Google, and needs to answer a very simple question. What are the risks that exist in my platform that can get me breached? This is essentially the question that all of them want to know, and they prefer to do that for 100% of the environment with no friction. And this is the value that we are providing. Avi, why Orca? What's behind that name choice? 
Uh, thanks for the question. A few things. First, a single orca can reach anywhere in the world ocean. It has a great range and it has the most advanced biosonar. So you can see into things without touching them, which is essentially what our technology does. And it is a cool name. Yeah, the famed orcas of the world's oceans. I want to end with a very direct and simple question. If somebody asked you, what is the number one thing I should not connect to or click on, what is it? Any, uh, anything that you don't know where it came from. If you're unsure, just look for the link yourself. Look for the company. Don't click that link. I almost see in the early days when eBay was constantly getting fished or they were trying to imitate it, there would always be one word misspelled. One word misspelled in the email. Everything else looked exactly like it was coming from company X or company Y, whoever they were trying to mimic. Is that something to look for? I wouldn't trust that because yeah, attackers these days are becoming more and more complex and they can create it in a way that your chances of noticing that are effectively zero, especially given the fact that it's not like you, you are looking at that as a possible uh, attack. You are going over your email, you walk up, you have a few minutes, you go over your email. It's not like you are always on the lookout for an attack. So there is some basic... Uh, things that if we are following that the chances are reduced. And it is to take that, to have the habit of not going to the link that you got, get out of the mail and surf to this website. Get out, go Google that. This by itself is likely the thing that will reduce the chances of phishing by the most compared to any other uh, action. Delete, delete, delete. It's great <laughs> to meet you and talk to you, Avi. What an inspirational story. And uh, something tells me that uh, more and more governments are going to be knocking on your digital door because it's really become a war out there, hasn't it? It did. Certainly did. Avi Shua of Orca. And good luck to you and the security company. Fascinating stuff. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Avishua. And, and we constantly are looking at the stocks that swirl around many of these companies. And again, not only is cybersecurity something to be very concerned about, but it's a fascinating investment play, especially when the cybersecurity companies themselves get breached, which happened this week with mm-hmm. SolarWind and, oh my gosh, FireEye, and the list goes on. So we're all vulnerable, but we can certainly be aware. And of course, all you have to do is watch 3 p.m. Eastern on the Fox Business Network, The Claim and Countdown, where we talk about all of this and so much more from the investor standpoint. We will hear you, see you, and talk to you next time on Everyone Talks to Liz. <laughs>